Welcome, everybody. I'm not Michelle Obama. My guest is not... Who are you not? Barack Obama, I guess. She is not Barack Obama. And this is Let's Have Fun in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and go. What is your name, though? What is your real name? Uh, I'm Helen, and... Um... Hey, Helen. <laughs> I'm Jonathan. <laughs> Hi. Uh, you, this is the first real episode of this podcast, so one day that could be pretty cool or it could be meaningless. And I'm um, very honored to be the first guest. Good. Thank you. We're honored to have you. I'm honored to have you because this is really just a one-man team. Um, so let's, um, let me ask you, um, you told me that you are currently a professional scientist and that mm -hmm. you're studying for your PhD, correct? Yes, that's correct. Can you tell me, um, when you say you're a professional scientist, what does that mean? What do you do? So currently I'm getting a PhD in biophysics at Harvard University. So what that entails, uh, so first it can be, uh, many different topics people can be studying any topics within like you know the realm of science uh like it can be physics biology chemistry etc so what i do more specifically uh is i study uh ivf uh, which stands for in vitro fertilization okay. so um what i do uh is using uh, computer vision or artificial intelligence uh, to analyze clinical IVF videos to, and in order to uh, figure out a way to improve the clinical success rate. Interesting. That's very interesting. Um, so you're saying you use like basically computer vision AI to improve the success mm -hmm. rate of in vitro fertilization, correct? Mm -hmm. how what yeah. exactly is the ai doing what are you doing with the ai to improve the ivf so what i'm doing uh exactly is using computer vision to extract uh features from the images and videos that's where computer vision comes in uh and then using the features that we extracted i'm using uh like statistics and uh data science etc to um build in like a selection model mm -hmm. so it's kind of uh mathematical modeling in that sense okay. uh and then to uh like build a selection algorithm pretty much uh -huh. so are you telling me that like for instance this is helping you if i understand correctly in vitro fertilization takes a bunch of eggs and a bunch of sperm cells mm -hmm. and it you know fertilizes the eggs and then the egg is uh the fertilized egg is placed back into the womb or whatever that's called mm -hmm. and uh, i'm like the technical term i don't know it but um and then that's where it grows and you know becomes a baby correct or a fetus mm -hmm. Right. So, so, so within that process, uh, so most patients, uh, during one cycle of treatment would have on average 10, uh, oocytes that will be fertilized. Uh, so if the fertilization is, are all successful, then you have multiple embryos, uh, to choose from to implant because you want to decrease the risk of uh having multiple pregnancies at the same time because those are high-risk pregnancies that you're trying to avoid so in general uh doctors would try to uh implant one embryo at a time or usually no more than two uh so back when in the days when you say one embryo we're talking about like twins triplets that kind of thing right you want to keep it to one maybe two is that what you're saying we want to keep it to one ideally and then uh, if the patient uh, is older or they have previously uh, failed cycles of treatments, then 
like usually will go up in numbers. So different clinics uh, have different practices as well. Some clinics are more willing to uh, like transfer more embryos at a time. But in general, people are trying to decrease the risk of multiple pregnancies. Uh, so uh, then like most doctors try to transfer one embryo at a time. So because of that, we have to have the best, most robust selection algorithm to select only one embryo or to, to like select the best embryo so we can transfer only one. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. you're basically trying to use like AI to look at these embryos and select mm -hmm. the one that that we think will have the greatest uh, chance of success. Is that what you're telling me? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, that's wow. correct. That's awesome. Um, that's really cool. Um, cool <laughs> um why do you have a background in biology or what's your background that you decided to get into this so my background was actually in physics mm -hmm. uh so uh when i was an undergrad uh so i studied physics at brandeis university um so i actually had a concentration in biological physics because i became uh like interested in going to medical school at that time. And then I uh, ended up taking all the pre-med classes as, and including biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, biochemistry. And then I became more interested in like life science per se, but my major and my background was still in physics. I still continued doing my physics major uh, and research, et cetera, um, when I was in college. But then I decided I'm no longer wanting to pursue medical school. So, uh, but so I continued with my physics background, but with an interest in life science. So, uh, this type of research that's a, a kind of a inter uh, interdisciplinary that combines that kind of utilizes physics to study uh, biological problems become like more appealing to me. That's kind of uh, why I got into it when I'm in grad school. That's awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, can you explain to me a little bit about the PhD um, system in general? Like, uh, mm -hmm. meaning when you go to undergrad and if I'm not mistaken, also graduate school, you have a certain like required classes that you have to take and once you take them and you know you basically get your diploma or your degree right mm -hmm. but the phd yeah. is not just like that it's not just you take some classes you pass them and then you got it is it is it uh no it's completely different um so uh it's uh, like some aspects of a PhD is similar to graduate school or undergrad, mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's very different. So first, uh, different programs at different universities are going to be completely different um, with different structures. So like, and in the United States and in overseas in Europe or in other countries like Israel, Asia, like it's going to be also completely different. So in the US, uh, uh, at least for STEM, uh, you don't need to have a master's degree before you start your PhD program. So the majority of PhD students uh, apply when they're undergrad. Um, and then, uh, but in Europe and in Asia, you are required to have a master first but their PhD process is shorter. So in the US, the PhD process is longer because it's expected that you uh, that you haven't gotten a master beforehand. So the right. system is built a slightly differently. So depends on the program, but usually during our first uh, one to two years, we'll be taking some classes and the class load would be a lot less than compared to undergrad because um, you're taking more advanced classes and they require a lot more work. So uh, they're also usually a lot more difficult, a lot more challenging. So you take uh, usually like somewhere between one to four classes, uh, but you, on average, no, 
uh no for the whole PhD I think for my program we are required to take seven classes I'm not um I'm not like sure I don't remember exactly because that was my first year uh (laughs) but we usually take like two or three classes per semester the first year and then the second year we'll take one class per semester and that will fulfill all our class requirements and depends on the program some programs have like a very set course uh like kind of structure that you are required to take these core classes but my program for example there really there's like one class that you were required to take pretty much and everything else you choose based on your research interest or what just in general whatever you're interested in like for a phd program in general what the classes you're taking is not really to fulfill a requirement it's more like you're actually trying to learn something that's gonna be super useful for your research i see okay yeah and then after our classes usually in the from the beginning you start doing like rotations in different labs uh working on different research projects trying to select a lab that you're interested in working at and once you have that you start doing your dissertation you can start working on your dissertation research and uh so and you work on that until your last year and somewhere along the line you have some teaching requirements so that also depends on the program but every single phd program in the us have some teaching requirements you're required to teach at least one class yeah well that's very interesting um you're still with us because i don't um you may have gotten you're with us right yeah yeah no i thought you got like uh, cut off there for a second cool um i remember i graduated uh, about a year and a half ago and yeah uh, i studied computer science we had some phd students i think they were phd students kind of help us in the labs and whatnot so mm-hmm. um yeah so i guess now a little bit more but just to clarify um so you have to kind of write or create or publish some of your own original research is that correct that is correct so you have to like basically almost go and do something that's never been done before and and be like look this is what i found that's by definition true everyone's required to do that but with 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 the help of your uh pi or principal investigator Mm -hmm. uh as you're the person who's leading your lab uh your mentor so yeah. uh yeah and what Isn't was that terrifying question? like what if you don't find anything worth like you research and then it's like nope nothing interesting here or like it didn't work <laughs> what happens then so that actually happens quite often uh believe it or not because that's kind of part of life when you are trying to do something that has never been done in the world uh, you're trying to create new knowledge in the world. So, yeah. Um, or, I mean, I want to say create, but like discover new things in the world. Uh, yeah. So, uh, usually uh, your mentors will help you design your thesis in a way where, so first, um, number one, your hypothesis or whatever you're trying to find out uh will be based on current literature of what other people have done already and you're going in a direction that you know i i'm sure we're all familiar with this concept of educated guess yeah so instead of going in complete blind you are guided by a body of literature of like what other people have already done and you build on top of that that's usually how it is first and second they you uh can ask many questions that's what you're trying to find out you're trying to answer scientific questions that hasn't been answered before so if there's nothing interesting you you have that's why the phd process is really long you'll have time to move on to the next question so you like when you in the beginning when you structure your thesis you would have multiple questions and mm-hmm. trying to figure out like uh, things and also the best type of phd thesis 
uh, designed would be okay, would be publishable uh, one way or another. It's a question that you can publish uh, even if nothing works. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. So, but, but in general, that does happen. It does happen to people where you don't find anything interesting. And actually, some people have gone through an entire PhD, not at anyone's own fault, uh, not being able to publish anything. But usually, that's rare. Uh, most people will be able to publish something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. And um, it is a very stressful process because you're in the unknown. Yeah. And uh, which is one thing that's interesting about uh, people who are trained, uh, who are PhDs, uh, because you are trained to be, because like you're trained to be like comfortable um, with these situations, uh, which is kind of an interesting skill set <laughs> to have. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... That, that that's exactly the reason why I ended up studying computer science because um, I had taken some English classes. I, I took some, I didn't know what I wanted to study in college when I first started mm -hmm. and I took some of the requirements and I really didn't like how they would make me, um, you know, how these assignments would require me to like come up with like a theory as to why the writer said X or Y. And I'm like, I don't mm -hmm. know. Like, what if I can't come up with a theory? You want me to like BS it? Like, I don't, I don't like BS. I hate BS. I hate BS. So I'm like, you're asking me to come up with something. And like, if I can't, then I'm just going to have to BS it for the grade. But I don't like doing that. So I was like, I just want to write, I just want to study something which is like, I don't have to create anything of my own, so to speak. It's just answering the question. So that's mm -hmm. why I kind of narrowed it down to math, physics, engineering, and computer science. And then among those four, I guess the coolest one just seemed like computer science. I didn't think very idealistically. I was just like, what should I, you know, what's like the coolest or best, most practical thing to study? But mm -hmm. um, I mean, computer science definitely is very good and practical. Yeah. Uh, and sure. also, like a lot of the research I've and I'm doing, even though coming from a physics background, it's pivoting into computer science because like on my, like my current day to day is like programming and coding. So you code, you code for your, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I have to like when, if I want to do like any of my analysis or like computer vision, that's all require programming. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I so that... so so like, so yeah. like when it comes down to day to day, I pretty much just do programming. At yeah. this point, uh, it's That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I think that, uh, you know, the way the world's headed with technology being so much more powerful, and so much more mm -hmm. ever present, you know, because we have so many more devices, and we use them in ways that we weren't doing before. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if like if you start for every now, let's say one in every 10 people or I'm just picking a random number, one in every 10 people is a programmer. As more and more mm -hmm. things go online, you're going to have basically every other person is going to be a programmer because every company, even if it's just a, you know, a law firm or a roofing company, all of a sudden is going to have this mm -hmm. software to help them out. So for every employee that does something else, you're going to need one programmer to take care of the technology that they use to do that. I'm that's just a theory, but, but it's, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Like how technology is um, completely just opening so many doors for us. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I guess, we didn't I, know about before. I I think we're definitely going into that direction because we see a lot of industries that have never used 
at that time you never used to hire like computer programmers or uh like kind of like software engineers or data scientists and of sorts like in their industry and now they're all hiring people in this industry because like with the current like trend of like how much like each industry is like building to rely on tech mm -hmm. and they need more and more people who are who are in tech to like work in this industry so it's really interesting to see like how much more demand there is i don't know if i would say like every other person but yeah. it's it's definitely yeah. going in that trend yeah yeah um so now let's if if we may i want to kind of take it a little bit closer to the personal side you know you studied all of this why did you decide what what about it spoke to you meaning maybe you studied this because this is what you majored in in undergrad but take us to why why you're doing what you're doing what is that why is that significant to you uh like are you asking about the project specifically uh i'm talking about more the general direction that you're taking with your life um why did you decide mm. to study physics in undergrad and Got once it. you did that why did you decide um you know i think this dissertation topic would be something i'd be interested in what mm -hmm. how does this speak to you if it does if at all so i would say when i was in college uh this um i mean i think even before college i've always wanted to do physics and that's just something okay. i've been really good at uh since mm -hmm. i was very young i've always been great at it so i always yeah. knew i was going to be a physics major and i applied to colleges okay. like i mean in liberal arts college you don't really like have to declare a major but i like you know you have like an intent you know uh so i've always applied as yeah. like i'm intending to be a physics major and i did i never really like explored anything else honestly yeah. i was never like i'm like a like a half decent writer but i never explored any other subjects because they require writing too much yeah. and um <laughs> so or reading uh so that was like just not like i'm more like a logical kind of person like more like analytical type of person so i've already i was always into math and physics so that was mostly just something that i really enjoyed from a very young age i just nev never really explored other things and um also uh in terms of uh going to grad school uh it was actually really funny uh because i was in my junior year in college and i was um i think i was like uh had enough credit to graduate and finish the requirement so i was like might as mm -hmm. well you know save a whole year's tuition and time uh and graduate a year early so and then so i was in my junior year i the beginning of junior year uh i knew i was going to graduate in three years so um my advisors uh in college was like because like in in physics it's very like a academia kind of oriented you there's a very like academia oriented track mm -hmm. you can like graduate and go get a job like anywhere like with no problem but also like the professors always want you to like pursue a phd because you know they're more academic like academia minded uh so they encouraged me to apply and in my mind i was like might as well just apply uh, because it's like it doesn't like um it, it doesn't really like cost me anything i mean okay other than the application fees but whatever uh, it doesn't really cost me much to apply it's, and uh I'll, I'll see like if i get into any good programs and if i do like getting a phd from like stanford or harvard or mit would be like really amazing and also even if you work in physics if you go on find a job you most likely you will have to uh go back to school for some graduate degree if you um if you want to like get to a certain point in your career
because yeah. it's just the industry standard. Uh, with an undergraduate degree in physics, it's just not enough. Um, so, I mean, it's totally doable. It's just still most people will go back to school. So I was like, it's easier to stay in school other than just like going to get a job and then going back to school. So uh, that was kind of my idea. And uh, I was thinking if I got into any, anything good, I would go. If I don't, I would take a year off and then work and then apply next year. But also when you're in school, because you're in this academic uh, like system, it's very easy to apply to grad school because you have to go away for interviews. Uh, for grad school and visit we uh, and visit weekends, but if you're in university, your professors will be like extremely encouraging and be like, "Yes, I'm so glad you got invited to an interview. So we're so happy for you. Don't worry about your homework. Don't yeah. worry about anything else. Just go. Uh, like we'll give you like extension and this and that. But in the real world, in if you are working at a real job." and uh, you are going off every other weekend for an interview, uh, your boss is probably not gonna be super happy about it. So it's like, in a, it's the kind of the easiest, like it's like a built-in structure uh, where people are very encouraging for you to like go apply for grad school. Yeah. And so, so I didn't decide to apply until maybe a few weeks before the deadline because again this was the beginning of my junior year i just finished my second year of college so i wasn't even thinking about anything in the future um so and my professors were really encouraging me because they really want me to apply <laughs> and then obviously they all loved me anyways uh <laughs> so uh, i i like put together some application within a week and i need uh, professors to also write recommendation letters. So I was like, I'm sorry, this is super last minute, but I decided I'm gonna apply for grad schools. And so they were like, no problem. Uh, they sent me their, their uh, uh, they sent their recommendation letters in like two, three days. I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I sent in all the applications. They used ChatGPT. They just uh, used ChatGPT. We didn't have ChatGPT at that time. What? This was what eight years ago. What? You what? What? You didn't this have was like seven, eight years ago. More than four months ago? Is that what you're telling me? Okay. Wait, what do you... Th no, the, the, this was years ago. Okay. I know, I know. I, know. I can't tell sarcasm. Anyways. <laughs> uh, and, and then... So, and then it ended up... I actually got into almost all the programs that I applied for. Uh, and I think it was easier for me to apply to schools and hold on, hold on. Let's, go let's on pause, interviews let's pause for a second you got into all the programs <laughs> or almost all the i think almost all to. look at that yeah gonna, there was I'm one program use, um, i think i'm gonna use a, a little uh, of these built-in sounds hold on one second <laughs> one second okay and it's coming up i don't know why it's doing so well All right, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think uh, at that point, honestly, it was easier for me because I didn't really have that stress. I was applying um, kind of with a like, oh, we'll see if I get in attitude instead of like, I really want to go to grad school right now. Yeah. So there was no stress or anxiety of, of that process. It was very nice. And uh, it was the visiting weekends are really nice. The schools invite you <laughs> to mm. visit their school and uh, usually as an interview, but uh, so it depends on the program. Some mm. program accept you beforehand, some don't. So it was a really nice time. So my second semester, my last semester of college, I practically was just traveling away visiting all these great cities uh yes, yes. every single weekend wow. uh and it was well the expenses were all covered which was also who, who amazing and the they really themselves? the schools the schools wow. yeah and That's then awesome. they really also traveling um traveling around and they put you up at hotels wow. and uh they take you to the best restaurants 
wow. activities. And at that point, I didn't keep kosher, so that was amazing. Yes. <laughs> if I did keep kosher, I couldn't have gone to any of the restaurant activities, but that's okay. Um, yeah. So it was like, uh, so while all my peers, I really felt good about myself because all my peers were still in their third year, like they're still taking classes. I was gone the entire semester. Yeah. Uh, it was it was nice. So so and then I, out of all the schools, I mean I think I would have to say that the obvious choice was Harvard. So I decided to because stay in the Boston the area because of other factors as well. So both, uh, a lot of other schools I got into were also very like prestigious. Yeah. But uh, I would say Harvard obviously is the best one. Um, yeah. and, I'm assuming uh, it has the name for a reason. I mean, that is kind of... Oh, it has the name for a reason. And the professors are absolutely amazing. And the programs are absolutely amazing. It really does have the best quality. I mean, again, a lot of these other schools had amazing professors. I would have had a very fulfilling PhD career if mm-hmm. I went to any other schools. Uh, and also at that point, I was living in the Boston area because Brandeis was right. in Waltham, it's a suburb of Boston. So I, it was very convenient also. And uh, Harvard was like a no-brainer in terms of the program and everything. So I decided I, I was going to Harvard for my PhD. And uh, so, um, yeah, so I like uh, found a lab that I was interested in in that area? Very quickly. Huh? In the area? Oh, yeah. So like you have to you have to find a lab in the university. So so yeah. Uh, So I started working there Uh, like you like you start doing your research. Uh, So and within the lab, but the reason why I picked this specific lab is because it's also like there are very few uh labs that are like very specifically biophysics in terms of like uh coming from a purely physics background but studying biology so a lot of the there are other people doing that but most labs if they're doing a biophysics most of the professors come from biology background so i wanted to be in a lab where everyone including the professor comes from a physics background because that's just something I connect to more and I think is something that I would understand more. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, out of all the projects, there was a very interesting project in clinical IVF. And I, with my like previous interest in uh, medicine, so that became like a very attractive choice for me. And uh, so I was doing, in the beginning, doing a lot of experimental stuff with mouse embryos in the lab, uh, like, uh, and um, later there was another project that was mostly analyzing clinical data, which is what I pivoted to. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just like was, like, I was, I don't know, I never had an interest in learning how to program. Uh, except for, I always thought it was a useful skill. So I was like, might as well do this project, uh, do both projects at the same time and um, learn how to program will be a useful skill after I graduate for like my future career. Uh, And then uh, with like, like the uh, mouse embryos are very hard to work with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is one of the situations where nothing worked. Uh, or not much worked, I would say. So I just ended up pivoting to the project that was working, um, which, and also with COVID happening, the lab was shut down. So I couldn't have worked on the wet lab project anyways. So it just, I just ended up pivoting completely to the data analysis project. So that's kind of how my entire process was going. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, allow us to pivot um, away from this and let us get more into the psychological or philosophical, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of Reddit. I love Reddit. Um, 
so many i think people there are hilarious um i agree if you're not you know i'm talking to the listeners or the viewers um because this is if you're listening to us on spotify uh the intention is also to post on youtube and there you can actually see the video you can see our pretty faces uh or her pretty face because you know i am what i am but um thank you yeah um don't tell my girlfriend i said that i'm just kidding i don't have a girlfriend yet. um so so anyway let's go let's go on reddit i found this question and i think it's an interesting one to discuss um i will mm -hmm. I will not read the username of the person who posted this so as to maybe they don't want the whole freaking world to know this question. But well, it is on Reddit, so... It is, but, you know, maybe they don't want the whole, I don't know, 8 billion people in the entire world to know it, but... Um, That's how popular this, this podcast is. Yes, it is, exactly. Um, yeah. So, I will, I will summarize... Uh, the title of the post goes, my daughter clings to male role models. Teachers recommend therapy. It says like this. I've been a single mom most of my daughter's life, she, which mm -hmm. the daughter is nine years old, female. Her dad has been a part of her life sporadically. He pops up whenever it suits him and then disappears for months. He hadn't congratulated her for the last two birthdays and didn't call for Christmas either. Long story short, my daughter's teachers say that my daughter clings to other children's dads when they come to the schoolyard to pick up their kids. She usually runs up to her best friend's dad and her best friend got quite upset about it because she feels it's her dad and not my daughter's. My daughter also clings to other male role models in her life like her PE teacher. Her teachers recommend therapy because they don't think this behavior is normal and that she needs someone to talk to about her absent father. Does anyone deal with similar issues? Is therapy really necessary? Question. Do you think if you were, let's say, is this anything to, to do anything about? Is this, if, you, if the mother was asking you, would you say you have nothing to worry about? Just kind of let it be. It's all good. Or you think that there's something that this is an issue, so to speak, and something should be done we don't have to get into yet i mean the follow-up question will obviously be what might you think should be done but do you think that something should be done about this there's something that needs to be done uh i mean obviously i'm not an expert in psychology or like children's behavior yeah. uh, but just from my personal understanding i would have to agree that it's not normal behavior mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, again, like, I don't know if therapy is necessary, right. but I think something should be done. Okay. Um, I, I think also, but on the other hand, the, if the child is only nine years old, mm -hmm. uh, I think maybe like something we can wait and see what happens later in life uh because like when you're at that age you really don't are not like super like this like people's self-awareness are not like a hundred percent there yet okay so i don't know like i think a lot of people like tend to like i don't know like w worry too much i mean at least in our like society now like worry too much about children's like it like like pro like behaviors or things uh like a little too much mm -hmm. but usually they grow out of it like i'm sure i had all kinds of problems that i just grew out of i mean i'm not, I'm not saying if it, if it was a serious problem like it shouldn't have been addressed but i think people are like kind of overly uh, like overly alarmed about things yeah I think, think maybe yeah, if, go ahead. if go ahead. I were the parent, I would probably like monitor the situation and pay more attention to it and see like and evaluate the situation further instead of like, oh, get her into therapy right away or something like that. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally hear that. Um, I think I would tend to uh, follow a similar approach. I uh, in life, a lot of times I'm my kind of. My way of operating is a lot of times 
kind of let it, if something is unclear, give it a little bit more time until it kind of goes to one side or the other, you know, to remove that right. doubt. Um, mm -hmm. I think that this, this thing that I'm saying with the daughter, um, I mean, I guess, look, people are pointing it out, which means this is not, this is kind of like not the usual thing. Um, I right. guess I, I, I would 100% agree. It's not a usual behavior. I'm saying like, if I would see it, I don't know, but like clinging to her PE teacher, that's, you know, her friend's dad is like, fine. Like she likes her friends, her dad's whatever, like already her PE teacher is like, okay, like she's clearly looking for that male, um, what's the word? Like acceptance attention or, or attention something. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like a, she's looking for a father figure. Yeah. I mean, I, that would be the, the simple thing that, you know, I would say it's yeah. pretty, I don't know. Um, and, um, yeah, I think at that point, based on what they're describing, it's something like you said, to keep an eye on, but it, I don't think it's something to freak out about yet. Uh, if at all in the yeah. future, um, at the same time, I think a good therapist, um, is one who knows when there's a need to do something and when it's just like when to say to the parents or the mother in this case like i think it's fine just kind of let it be for now and just keep mm -hmm. an eye on it and you know and like if you see certain things whatever then then you can you know you should take more action but you know it's good to it's good to maybe you know talk to the therapist i don't think it would hurt to have one or two sessions just to kind of right have some kind of yeah picture. that sounds yeah yeah, yeah i i think um I don't know. I think in general, I mean, I don't know if like this is specific to like science. It's just, I don't think there are a lot of like female role models. I mean, there are some, but I don't think the vast majority of role models of like tech or science is male. Um, Wait, say again? In our, like, I think in general, most tech or science uh, role models uh yeah. in our society is male i guess i never really like I, I personally never had a problem with it but i can see the issue uh i can see the potential representation in like the more role model area within the stem world yeah yeah, yeah. there are some there are there are some but not yeah. a lot like what do you think that might but... be because i i worked at uh at a company i'm not going to say the name because i don't know maybe they won't like this and they could sue me for for the entire uh, $200 I have in my bank account. Um, so guys, I'm going to post my Venmo in the description. You know what to do. Um, <laughs> the the Jonathan Atias Defend Fund against, uh, against the company that I worked for. Um, but there were not, in, in our team, I, I can only speak for my team. Uh, there were mm -hmm. not, we were like 12 people mm -hmm. um, we're nine developers not one of us mm -hmm. were female mm -hmm. um, out of the there were two managers one was female I'm saying like nine developers and not a single female I mean that that's like Maybe, you know, it's a small sample. I'm not, I, I only have vision into one team within the entire company, which is upwards of hundreds of thousands of people. But, um, but yeah, I feel like um, this gets into a little bit, maybe um, gender stereotypes. I mean, mm -hmm. is it, I mean, let me look it up real quick, like percentage of females in I mean, programming it's it says here yeah that what is the real it says real here percentage. according to silential.ai you know i mean abraham i saw in the internet that abraham lincoln once said you shouldn't trust everything you read on the internet so you know we're supposed to take abraham lincoln's word very uh very beautiful <laughs> beard and hat but assuming we can take this at their word Silential.ai, first result on Google, says 
women in software engineering make up wait what i don't know it's confusing <laughs> it's about 30% um something okay. like um whatever let's assume that it's underrepresented cuz that's just not going to prove it with statistics but i mean I, 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 I wouldn't i wouldn't even say 30% would be a underrepresentation here it says because... large companies have 22% of their software engineers being women while small companies 25 so okay assuming so that one in four on average right now obviously you have to take into consideration okay obviously you have to take into consideration that maybe the workforce itself is not evenly divided between males and females right so mm-hmm. maybe right. if if the entire workforce is 80% male 20% female then having 20% female 80% male in a company is not underrepresentation it's just what it is Right. Um, you could ask. I mean, like that—that that would be a more complicated analysis. But I think, in general, I'm—I'm I'm relatively comfortable with being the only female slash the only girl in any situations. There was—I think there were like a lot of classes I've taken uh, because I tend to take only like super analytical classes in physics and math. So sometimes I'm the only girl. in the entire class yeah. and that happened a good amount of time and i don't know i i like i think i think more of my uh uh like political or feminist oriented friends would uh point that out to me all the time when i don't even notice mm-hmm. um i think like in general maybe it's like my personality uh i'm comfortable with being the only girl around a bunch of guys but um yeah i don't know i think for some other people it could be extremely intimidating um i i guess uh but like it also comes down to like most girls like probably out of i mean again this is just what i think like probably yeah. wouldn't choose to be in those careers. I Why? mean, it's also a personal preference and choice. Saying, Why not? I mean, not, you're saying it's not that they're not um I'm asking, I don't know if this is what you're saying. Are you saying that to you it doesn't appear to be that women aren't able to make it in those careers? It's just that they, they have no totally interest in it if it. they want to. It's just they have they seem I mean, to have no interest in it as much as males. Is that what you seem to be saying? I wouldn't say no interest. I would say less interest because uh like it really is a uh specific STEM is a t- specific career where you have to be extremely logical and analytical. And we know and, women aren't uh, that. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> one second, one second, one second, second. One second. Listen here. Uh where is it? Where is it? Let me say it again. We know women aren't that. <laughs> again. <laughs> All right. Ah, oh, that's hilarious. We're gonna, okay. We're going to have a lot of fun so, with those uh, sounds in the future. I'm going to work on adding. I love more. the sounds. We should have been playing them the entire time. So I, don't I love have this. good ones. Um, I just have a couple. Oh, th- these are great already. So, I will <laughs> All right, all right. Let's keep going cuz we're running pretty long. Let's, w- let's wrap up this okay. segment, quickly do the next one and then take us home, baby. Sounds good. I would say uh women are men and women are good at different things. Is what uh com- it comes down to. Women are just uh tend to be better at like uh social interactions okay. and they are better at reading social cues. Uh, at reading people, at engaging in social situations, so that tend to put women in careers that are more like people like in person, one on one, people oriented, and right. uh, but when it comes to people oriented careers, that's not tech because that's not you like you're not gonna want to sit behind a computer all day, not talking to anyone, right? Or not literally not talking to anyone, but that's the that's like the majority of your day. You're like sitting there. being on your own or for me like if i'm working in a lab i'm in a dark i could be in a dark microscope room like working on my cells 
with no one to talk to. I'm just there alone at night. That's not a career that most women find appealing. And also a tech oriented or science oriented career tend to be like, have a crazier schedule instead of a nine to five schedule, which I personally very much enjoy because I enjoy the flexibility, but sometimes you're just working late at night at 2 a.m. And uh, most women probably wouldn't enjoy doing that. Well, let me to cut you um, off, and, but, Helen, because people are yes. going to not want to listen to our next uh, episode if we go so long. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. In, in three minutes tops, tell us what superpower you would curse your enemy with and why. Uh, I would uh, curse my enemy with the superpower that they can't, uh, that, ev that everything they taste is going to taste bad. <laughs> Beautiful. And why? Why is that so bad? Uh, because for me personally, I love eating and I love food. <laughs> so not being able to taste good food is the worst, uh, the worst thing I can possibly imagine. Helen has so. a, uh, a, I'm not going to spill too much of the beans here, but Helen has a, a little group of friends that they like to go out every month or so, and they go out to eat. It's very exclusive. I was added, uh, but if I don't participate, I'm going to be removed, I was told. Purged. Purged is purged. the correct word. Um, so I am dreading that day, which is why I will try to attend the next uh, dinner party. All right. And finally, to close us off, that's it. Helen, thank you so much. Uh, we will finish with one question for the audience. This is also from Reddit. Um, waiters of reddit how full do you like a customer's mouth to be before you ask if their meal is to their satisfaction all right ladies and gentlemen this has been the first episode of let's have fun i hope you enjoyed see you next time goodbye thank you helen thank you